Welcome to KUOW's Speakers Forum. I'm your host, John O'Brien. In his 1967 speech, Beyond Vietnam, A Time to Break Silence, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, We are now faced with the fact, my friends, that tomorrow is today. We are confronted with the fierce urgency of now in this unfolding conundrum of life and history that is such a thing as being too late. Procrastination is still the thief of time. For 44 years, Seattle Colleges has presented an annual community celebration of Martin Luther King, Jr. to honor King and keep his legacy alive. This year, educator, musician, and community organizer Benjamin Hunter gave the keynote address, Make America Again. Hunter is the founder of Community Arts Creates, an organization that promotes the arts as a bridge to community, and the co-founder of the Hillman City Collaboratory, a social change incubator. This event took place on January 13, 2017, at Mount Zion Baptist Church. The MC was Cairo 7's Deborah Horn. Please join me in giving a warm welcome to the city's mayor, Ed Murray. Thank you, and, and uh, good morning, or good afternoon, Mount Zion. Uh, let me thank Mount Zion, Reverend Williams, Reverend McKinney, um, the Seattle Community College um, uh, schools for having us here today and for honoring this great day. Let me acknowledge the Fire Chief Harold Scoggins and more importantly the members of the Seattle City Council who are here. Maybe you could all stand up council members and be acknowledged. Councilmember Harold, O'Brien, Bagshaw, and Herbal. We are only a few days away from the conclusion of the presidency of Barack Obama the country's first African-American president, and a president that was absolutely committed to civil rights, criminal justice reform, and equity and equality for all people throughout this nation. In many ways, it is a joyous time, and one worth celebrating, as we acknowledge the accomplishments of this president to these fundamental basic principles of our nation. But it is also a very very deeply troubling time, for we are about to begin an era of uncertainty, where the rhetoric and promises of our next president reflect the exact opposite of these commitments to justice and equality. In the sentencing this week of the man who murdered nine members of the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, remind us how tenuous our progress has been and how much work we have to do in addressing institutional racism. This is why our city, and this is why I, as a mayor and the council members who are here, are committed to recommitting ourselves to making this city a leader in equity and equality. Seattle remains committed to ending racial disparities in employment particularly by our young people, by increasing the already 7,000 summer youth jobs we've created in this city. Seattle remains committed to decreasing detention and violence among young black youth through programs 
such as our Family Intervention and Restorative Justice Program, a program that diverts youth into needed services so they never see the criminal justice system. Seattle remains committed to addressing racial disparities in our public schools through our brand new partnership with the Seattle School District, expanding programs such as My Brother's Keeper, mentoring programs that are directed at young African-American men, and extending the 13th year scholarship in our community colleges. And we are committed that our children will not be ripped out of our schools, that our neighbors will not be taken from our homes, and our employees will not be taken from their workplace because of their immigration status. And Seattle remains committed to working with the federal courts in reforming our police department. We are committed to giving the training that our police officers need to end racial bias in policing, and we are committed to ensuring that they have the training they need for the best de-escalation tactics that can be found in America. Indeed, our police department is on the way to becoming a leader in reform. This future administration may step back from police reform, but this city will not step back from police reform. This city and this community have an opportunity. We can be a model during the difficult days that we are about to face about how we can come together, about how we can support programs like just the few I mentioned that make a difference. The people in this room know something. You hear this line that this nation has never been here before. And this nation has never been here before. But there are people in this room and in this city who have been here before. There are people here and in this city who know what the brunt force of racism feels like. There are women here who knows what it feels like to have your career stopped because of your gender. There are people here who have not been able to attend the funeral of the person they spent their lives with because their relationship had no legal recognition. And there are immigrants and refugees who know what it's like to have their status questioned. So we've actually been here before, and we actually know what to do because we have done it before. We know first we must believe in ourselves, we must organize, we must build coalitions different than ourselves, and we must not lose hope. And on this day, the day that we celebrate the life and the work of Dr. Martin Luther King, I am hopeful. I am hopeful because of the young students we just heard from, I am hopeful because of the people in this church, and I am hopeful because of the people in this city because we actually do believe the words of President Barack Obama. Yes, we can. Thank you. Well, Mayor, you beat me to it, but we were going to acknowledge the council members who are sitting behind you, and so we will do that by name. Lisa Herbold is here. Sally Bagshaw, Mike O'Brien, and the City Council President, Bruce Harrell. I think I got them right. Thank you. <laughs> also with us is King County Council Member, Joe McDermott, and State Senator, Bob Hasagawa.
It is now my honor and pleasure to introduce Reverend Aaron Williams, senior pastor here at Mount Zion Baptist Church. As I mentioned earlier, Mount Zion has hosted this program for 33 years. Reverend, I know that I speak for everyone here in thanking you for such a warm welcome and for your commitment to this important celebration presented by Seattle Colleges. Let me take this opportunity to welcome uh, each and every one of you here to Mount Zion Baptist Church. Uh, we are always excited uh, when this year, when this moment comes around. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to fellowship together as a community and to see some familiar faces. So we welcome you here to Mount Zion. And I know I have a few members out, uh, out in the audience, and I want to ask my constituency to stand. Amen. Amen. And so we're excited uh, to have you here today, and uh, we are just excited to be able to host uh, this event, amen, for 44 years. Uh, so we thank God for this opportunity. Uh, I love this, this theme that we are focusing on today, the fierce urgency of now. Uh, what an appropriate uh, theme to be focus on, focusing on. Uh, there's an African proverb that says, it is a wise man who plants shade trees under which he may never sit. And I would like to think as I look over this audience today that many of us are sitting under some shade trees that were planted in the 50s and 60s and here we are, black men, white men, Jews, Gentiles, we're sitting under a shade tree that was planted in the 60s. Now, we know in this 21st century, some are trying to cut some of those shade trees down. And uh, I want to encourage each and every one of you, uh, don't allow those shade trees to be cut down. Some of you have planted shade trees of education. Some of you have planted shade trees of justice, and we must continue to keep those shade trees up and continue the work that Dr. King started over 40-some years ago. So we welcome you here to Mount Zion and enjoy this day. God bless you. Thank you. 
sing a song. Sing a song full of the faith that the darkness has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the Facing. States of America is a place where we celebrate our differences, our beautiful differences that make us proud to be who we are. Martin Luther King Jr. once told us he had a dream, and still to this day, 54 years later, we haven't quite fulfilled it. We are still discriminating against people because of their race, gender, sexual orientation, religious beliefs, and many more differences. On January 21st, there will be a march on Washington, D.C. called the Women's March on Washington. I will be attending that march. I won't just be there. I won't just be there to protest for my rights as a girl, but for the rights of every person, regardless of their skin color, who they love, their religion, or their immigration status. Because I also have a dream a dream that the America that I know can fulfill, the America that one, once listened to Martin Luther King Jr. We seem to have forgotten his powerful words and determination to spread equality through our country. I want to be part of a nation where we once again can all agree that all men and women are created equal. Today's America is not the place that it could be. Today's America should be a place where all people regardless of their race, are given the same amount of respect. Please give us a country where we can all be respected, a country we can trust and love. Thank you. Thank you, Molly. Seattle Central College opened its doors in 1966, one year after the Voting Rights Act was signed into law by President Lyndon B. Johnson. And the same year, Dr. King led the 220-mile march against fear from Memphis, Tennessee to Jackson, Mississippi. The State Community College Act was passed in 1967, and by 1970, Central was joined by North Seattle and South Seattle Community Colleges, and all three opened their doors to students as a district. 20 years later, Seattle Vocational Institute opened. Over the years, nearly two million people have been educated and trained at these colleges. This is where people go to change their lives. Both Seattle Central and the Seattle College District are celebrating their 50th anniversary this academic year. 
Dr. Schwan Pan was appointed Chancellor of Seattle Colleges last July. He spent the previous eight years as president of the Mesa Community College in Mesa, Arizona. His other executive roles include Provost of Broward College South Campus, Executive Dean of Instruction and Student Services at Florida State College at Jacksonville, Dean of Student Life at Community College of Philadelphia, and Assistant Professor of Educational Psychology and Recruitment at Re and Retention Administrator at Northern Arizona University. Chancellor Pan centers his leadership and management practices on fulfilling the community college mission and promoting student and community success. It is my great pleasure to introduce the Chancellor of Seattle Colleges, Dr. Schwan Pan. Good morning. Thank you, Deborah. I would like to recognize Deborah for emceeing for us today. Deborah joined Cairo 7 as a reporter in 1991. In 1994, she created In Color, a public affairs show about the diversity of the Pacific Northwest. It was the only program its kind here in Seattle. It aired for nearly 20 years and received four Emmy Awards and garnered national recognition. This past June, Deborah was inducted by the Northwest Chapter of the National Academy of Television and Arts and Science into its Silver Circle. This coveted honor is bestowed upon television professionals with exceptional service to the industry and community. Thank you, Deborah. I want to give special thanks and recognition to the outstanding leaders from Seattle Colleges who are with us this morning. Sheila Edwards Lane, President of Central Seattle College. <laughs> Gary Ortley, President of South. Maureen Shader, Interim Dean at Seattle Vocational Institute. <laughs> Dr. Warren Brown, President at North, could not be with us this morning, is represented by Kristen Jones, Vice President of Instruction. <laughs> and there are many other administrators here. They are the foundation of our district leadership. Also want to acknowledge Charles Mitchell, one of my predecessors as chancellor, and for many years before that, as president of Central Seattle College. Thank you for your presence. <clears throat> Seattle Colleges are governed led by five trustees, appointed by the governor. This morning, we're honored to have three of them representing the governing board. Our chair, Teresa Barayola, Vice Chair Luis Cheney and past Chair Carmen Gayton. And in the audience, we have several former trustees with us. Please stand. Let us thank you for your service and leadership. Thank you. 
In a television interview yesterday, I was asked about the relevance of Dr. King's "I Have a Dream" speech at a march on Washington in 1963. More than 50 years later, why is it still important? Given our current climate, I believe it is especially relevant today. Dr. King's legacy is enduring. Peaceful protests, fighting for social justice, equity, service to others—these things are more important today than ever before in the history of the United States of America. You don't need me to tell you that post-election, our nation is extremely divided. Question is, how do we come back together? How do we make real the promises of democracy that Dr. King? Envisioned. It won't come as a surprise to you that I firmly believe there is no greater force, as an equalizing force, than education. It is the most powerful tool to fight injustice, discrimination, and inequity. It is through education people learn how to think critically and engage in meaningful dialogues. Because both of which helps to build bridges and tear down walls, it can also lead to greater equity in our community. In recent years, we at the Seattle Colleges have created a variety of programs that aimed at helping disenfranchised population become gainfully employed. In partnership with the City of Seattle. We have piloted college for working adults, designed to help low-income adults to gain education and training, to pursue middle-wage jobs. This worker-friendly program makes it easy to start and finish your degree while you work. Working adults can take classes at night, on weekends, or online. We offer navigation services to reduce barriers to entry and to streamline the intake process. For students 21 years or older, our high school 21 plus program is a competence-based program to achieve a high school diploma. Students can take some basic college classes and get high school credit for them. They can also use skills they've learned on their job or in the military to receive credits. Our advisors work with each student to develop an individualized plan. For getting a high school diploma, building a customized pathway from college to career, we pioneered an iBest program, a national recognized curriculum for non-native speakers. This program quickly teaches students literacy, work, and college readiness skills at the same time, working with two instructors, so they can move through school into living wage jobs very quickly. We also developed. Start Next Quarter program, which is a simple survey for prospective and students to determine their eligibility for funding. My personal dream is for one day that money does not become a barrier for Seattle's youth to receive a post-secondary education.
We're working very closely with Seattle Public Schools on a common goal of aligning curriculum resources to enable students to move seamlessly from high school to college. I want to take opportunity to thank Dr. Neri, Dr. Larry Nyland and his staff for this work together for their commitment to a shared vision. I would be remiss if I don't point out some of the academic programs we've enhanced grown just in the past year in partnership with the state government, local organizations, including the city of Seattle. We transformed the Pacific Tower on Beacon Hill into a hub of community health. Seattle Central College opened its health education center there, and it hosts nursing, surgical technology, respiratory, dental hygiene, dental assisting program. No doubt, Dr. John Vassell of the Swedish Medical on First Hill and Dr. Rayburn Lewis of Swedish Medical in Issaquah, both on the board of the Washington Association of Black Healthcare Professionals, contest to the great need for well-trained healthcare workers. In fact, the number of healthcare openings is projected to increase by more than 35,000 in the next seven years. We have programs ranging from six-month certificates all the way to four-year degrees in allied health. The jobs are there. We need your help to send out those students so they can fulfill these jobs. With an increasing number of veteran maritime professionals entering retirement, the need has never been greater for skilled mariners. Seattle Central's new Seattle Maritime Academy building quadruples its capacity to prepare graduates to fill vital roles in the maritime sector, including commercial and passenger transportation, commercial fishing, deep sea sailing, and workboat industry. These are great paying jobs from 40 to 60,000 for six months of worth of work. North Seattle's college is the first college in the region to offer an associate applied science degree in the rapid growing field of nanotechnology. Its cutting edge facility attract partners who provide internship opportunities that often lead to high paying jobs up to 90,000 a year. Of the next two years, the Pacific Northwest is expected to add 300 nanotechnology positions. Looking ahead, South Seattle College's new integrated educational center will accommodate the demand for expanded healthcare programs and basic skills training, which includes English as a second language, adult basic ed, and high school completion. The center expected to open to students later this year. Our colleges offer more than knowledge or skill training. They also provide opportunities for leadership development, civic engagement, and community service. Our faculty and staff at Seattle Colleges uses Dr. King's teaching to guide our curricular and program design. Dr. King reminded us many years ago that we must remember intelligence is not enough. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of true education. The function of education, therefore, is to teach one to think intensely and to think critically. 
at the Seattle Central College, we're hosting eight community conversations this year, focusing on different populations. Our goal is for the results of these conversations to inform our diversity and equity task force, which in turn will help us in the programs we deliver to our students. At North, it's a diversity council for equity is developing a diversity action plan. At South, its equity, diversity, inclusion department includes a cultural center, veteran student center, and gender equity center. This network is fostering an inclusive campus community by providing education about diversity, social justice, social equity, and multiculturalism. As you can see, I'm extremely proud of all the work our college is doing towards achieving equity for providing a safe environment where all the students have the right to pursue their studies, socialize without fear. I'd like to close my remarks about how we can move forward and make real the promises of democracy. I challenge you, I challenge all of us to think globally to think inclusively. I implore you to listen to each other, take time to listen different perspectives, different opinions. I ask you to join me in identifying, training, mentoring leaders among our youths. I have a feeling, I'm sure you agree with me, that many of them are here with us in this room today. I encourage you to support the young people in your life to get them to finish a post-secondary education and to urge working adults to, as one student eloquently said, to improve their lot for life in Seattle. Dr. King's legacy remains, remains relevant and important for our country and for our community. Many of the things he fought hard for are still unresolved today. Towards the end of his life, Dr. King forcefully advocated that all Americans receive full health care, a high-quality education, and a living wage. More than celebrating his life and his legacy, let's commit to work together beyond our political beliefs or party lines to carry on his work and to turn his vision into reality. Thank you. morning or good afternoon. Um, I'm Sheila Edwards-Lang, and as the president of Seattle Central College, it is my privilege to introduce this year's recipient of the Reverend Samuel Barry McKinney Scholarship. It's clear that this year we have chosen a student who is deeply connected to Seattle Central and to Mount Zion and the communities that we both serve. Erica Schuett is no stranger to this stage, Mount Zion or Reverend McKinney. In fact, her parents were married right here by Reverend McKinney. As a native Seattleite, Erica feels very connected to this church and is touched that she will be honored with this legacy of Mount Zion and Reverend McKinney. For the past several years, she has been committed to serving and diversifying our local arts community. 
She works part-time as an art teacher at the Gage Academy of Art, as well as at the Northwest African American Museum. She also participates in the city's Pianos in the Parks program each summer, which promotes public access to both art and music and raises money for local arts organizations. As a board member at the Puget Sound Group of Northwest Artists, Erica is helping the organization reimagine itself as a diverse, progressive, and relevant force in the Northwest. She is a talented artist and advocate, and she decided to attend Seattle Central for the same reason that many of our students do, to launch a new future for herself. Over the past year at our college, she has completed her prerequisite coursework for economics so that she can eventually earn a bachelor's degree. And I'm proud to report that her goal is actually well within her reach because she has been accepted to and transferred to the University of Washington at the Seattle campus. At the University of Washington, she will study economics and statistics with a focus on human behavior. Her ultimate goal is to develop database solutions that can help us lead better lives. She also plans to sharpen her skills as a digital artist to convey data and information to the public in engaging ways. It is clear that Erica is driven to discover innovative solutions to make the world a better place. Due in part to assistance from the McKinney Scholarship, she will be able to continue her education, and I'm confident that our community will continue to benefit from her incredible intelligence, dedication, and ambition. Her future is incredibly bright. Please join me in congratulating Erica as this year's recipient of the Reverend Samuel Barry McKinney Scholarship. This year, we're adding to our list of scholarships through a generous gift from the Martin Luther King School Dreams Foundation. At this time, it is my honor pleasure to invite Jane Lind Sherman and Vaughn Sherman to the podium for an announcement. Thank you, Dr. Pan, and thank you to all of you who are here to celebrate a really great man. Before I make a couple of remarks, I would appreciate it if my board members, some of my board members who are here would please, be, please stand and be recognized. Several others were not able to attend. We have Roxanne Trees, Ruby Smith Love, and Susan Costick. Thank you very much for attending. Honoring Dr. King and his life and legacy is a great honor for me personally since I taught at Martin Luther King Elementary School for 18 years until it closed in 2006. While teaching there, my husband and I, actually my husband was the one that got the ticket, but we won a very large state lottery, and we decided to share that gift with as many others as possible. We started the Martin Luther King School Dream Foundation 
whose purpose is to give post-secondary uh, scholarships to students who attended that school for at least two years. The school closed in 2006, but we have continued to give scholarships every year since then. To date, more than 160 students, now ranging in age from 18 to 35, have received awards totaling over $200,000 to attend any school, whether it's beauty school, community college, Ivy League, historical black college, technical school, any place they want to go. Uh, many of the past winners have attended the Seattle colleges, and in fact, some of them are there right now. Because of the 2006 closure, this year's seniors will be the last eligible for this scholarship. Our board can think of no better way to keep the dream alive for Seattle's young people than to turn over our remaining funds of over $100,000 to the Foundation for Seattle Colleges so our work can continue under its umbrella. <laughs> We bless you, we bless you, and thank you for what you are doing for young people in our community. Thank you. Thank you. Jan Wang, on behalf of the foundation and our students, we thank you for your generosity. Your gift will help us fulfill the promise of a post-secondary education. There are other board members of the Dream Foundation here. You will be recognized. Thank you for your leadership, for your support. Hi, my name is Lila, and I'm going to read a poem I wrote called My World in Spanish first and then English. Mi mundo. Creo en un mundo donde todos cantan juntos. Creo en un mundo donde todos lloran juntos. Creo en un mundo donde todos tienen los mismos derechos. Creo en un mundo donde siempre hay esperanza. Pero ese no es mi mundo. My world. I believe in a world where everyone sings together. I believe in a world where everyone cries together. I believe in a world where everyone gets equal rights. I believe in a world where there's always hope. That is not my world. Hello, my name is Jackson Burnett, and I will be reading a poem that I wrote about Martin Luther King Jr. called A Great Man. This is how we stand strong and extreme. This is how we stand segregation free. We stand here today to honor a man who saved our nation with the power of people standing hand in hand. That man did great things, but he did not do them all. So we work on improving the problems of this world, like homelessness and poverty. We fight for what is right, and we let all live a great life in a great world where we all have freedom and are excited for the future. My name is Enrique Feo, and I'm reading an acrostic poem called Homelessness Affects All Races. H is for the hunger of families struggling. O is for the outrageous numbers of homeless people in cities. M 
is for the mountain of debts people face. E is for the extreme fear of death and dying. L is for the loss of families. E is for eagerness of acceptance. S is for social injustices. S is for the sacrifices people must make to survive without money. N is for not having much help from the community. E is for the, e is for the exposure of terrifying weather conditions. S is for the scary noises, gunshots, screams, and crashes. S is for the sorrowful cries of babies and children living under freeways, homelessness. Hi, my name is Diego Smith, and I will be writing, I will be reciting a small piece that I wrote about segregation. The brave, amazing race of African-American people living amongst small groups of other men and women who are fighting for the segregation of their races. Peace shall be reasoned between blacks and whites for all of this just starting fights. Um, Movies, bathrooms, water fountains, all, be, all, are sub, all are separated because of the color of our skin. African-American people should not, be, should not be afraid to walk down the street, to leave their own house, that matter. Blacks are getting lynched, shot, punched, kicked, all because of the color of their skin. We're all human, and the only thing that should ever be separated by color is laundry. much for those pearls of wisdom. Thank you so much to Lila, Jackson, Enrique, and Diego. That was fantastic. That was fantastic. Do I see Reverend McKinney there in the back? There he is waving. When I said, um, hello, Reverend McKinney, he said, um, it was good to be seen, not viewed. So we are seeing you. We're not viewing you, and we hope we never do. <laughs> I'm very excited um, to introduce to you Benjamin Hunter. I've only just met him but um, just last night, incredibly, I was at the Seattle Art Museum. I told him I was going to say this. And I was listening to jazz, and I got the earshot jazz uh, for this month. And there he is. Goodness gracious. He's already famous, at least in the city of Seattle. And now we're going to learn a lot more about him. Benjamin Hunter is a socialpreneur, educator, community organizer, and musician classically trained, he told me, whose passion is to fight the growing trend of human disconnection. In 2011, he founded Community Arts Create, which uses the arts to bridge between the variety of cultures in South Seattle and to use creativity as a vehicle for community development and social engagement. In 2013, he co-founded the Hillman City Collaboratory, you made up that word, I think, as an incubator for social change. The Collab is a co-working space for small grassroots nonprofit organizations, an instrument of transformation for programs designed to create community and equip change makers. His current project is the Black and Tan Hall, hence the cover of Earshot Jazz. 
a cooperatively owned performing arts and restaurant venue developed to maintain the Rainier Valley as a destination for cross-cultural arts and education events. Amidst all of this, he finds time to play music in an American Roots duo with Joe Siemens. He leaves soon for a five-week European tour and in a jazz trio called Honeysuckle Ride. At Washington Middle School, he teaches a class called Junior Fiddlers, and still he had time to come up with a speech for us today. We please join me in welcoming Benjamin Hunter to the podium. Half my audience just left. Good afternoon, everybody. It's a, a distinct honor to be here amongst so many fine people. Um, it's been a, a pleasure to listen to all the children speak and everybody's words. Um, uh, my work revolves around looking to the past. Um, as a musician, I play music from 100 years ago, uh, blues and jazz and ragtime and folk songs. songs that tell stories uh, about what's going on around us. That was the form of entertainment. We sang and danced for each other. That's how we connected. Uh, the Black and Tan Hall is a, a revival of a club that existed from 22 to 66 and was, was the premier jazz club along Jackson Street, which was the color line for musicians. The collaboratory uh, requires that we have an open ear to everybody that walks through the door and an open heart to listen to who they are and what they are and where they come from. Uh, preparing for something like this brings me back to those that have spoken on this issue before me uh, in another place or another period of time. Uh, the philosophies and thoughts uh, from every elder before us who's watched and witnessed the ebb and flow of a nation created. The smell of the air and the sound of the wind and even the taste of things enhances or fades with the evolutions and devolutions of a growing society. I think of all of them and I say thank you. This country itself was founded at the dawn of a new period. Uh, the age of reason, it was called. The enlightenment, placing reason as the prime motivator for action helping determine our current society through ideals of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, helping determine our country as a place for tolerance, equality, and freedom. Fundamentally, that we are all treated as rational beings, that we all have the ability to self-determine, to have an identity, and allow that to shape our lives with the mold that fancies our passions and our talents and our skills. To be an individual, to think for ourselves, to work for ourselves, to live for ourselves. But right out of the gate, America engaged in the same type of social behavior from whence they came. Slavery and indentured servitude built this nation into the prosperous country that it is. This is fundamental when exploring the psyche of American politics and society, I believe, because it identifies at the root the hypocrisy that this country was founded on. And while racism is a towering problem in this country and around the world, racism is implicitly folded into a larger discussion of class 
This is what Dr. King spoke of, because we aren't just fighting a war on racism, we are fighting for justice in all forms of oppression. And since the formation of this country, it wasn't just blacks and Native Americans getting trampled on, but anyone who wasn't rich, who wasn't white, who wasn't male. And so since has the entire narrative been written from the perspective of. Alongside that narrative is this position of power and of privilege, so much so that it disallows us, even now in 2017, the idea of putting anything other than white and male within that envelope of power. So that when we elect a black president, we can shout out to the world how evolved we are, how progressive we are, the example that should be followed from the land of the free, yet we can still lock up people of color at rates far, far higher than whites. We close down schools in low-income neighborhoods. We chalk up the price of good, healthy food and allow the poor to feast on McDonald's and Pepsi. Our establishment has never wanted to accept any other group as powerful for fear that it would defy the supposed truth that has been portrayed for hundreds of years. And as the decades go by, subtle and not-so-subtle tricks and tactics develop to curtail, disrupt, denigrate, and dismantle any movement that looks to empower themselves, because sharing power is not the American way. So when you tell people that they have self-determination, that they have an identity, that they can think and work and live for themselves, except when they're black or a woman or gay or poor, you insert into that person's psyche or those persons the same kind of psychological disregard for each other. You instill inside them that same insidiousness, that same apathy, that same disregard. That power can't be shared, but I can still exist as an individual. This is what I see as our biggest folly. This is what I regard as our primary concern. You see, because it's, it's more than race or gender or even class, it comes down to a position that has been curated by 500 years of false advertising, that individuality will give us life, liberty, and happiness, that capitalist self-determination will somehow produce a tolerant and united society. We built this nation only considering a small portion of the people that were a part of it, and now we are grappling with that fundamental flaw so much so that we don't know how to acknowledge each other. And, then, and, that, and that the mechanism for bringing us together has pulled us apart. All of this technology has pulled us so far apart that we now find more solace in talking to Siri than to a real person. I don't have Siri. Don't, don't do that. Uh, we'd rather hear stories from our friends on Facebook and through Twitter than through actual conversation and dialogue. We can't acknowledge people if we don't know how to talk to them. We can't empathize with people if we only rely on emoticons. Our senses, I believe, are the only thing we have to guide us through this world. Instead, we've traded them in for an algorithm. We've put our trust in a robot of whose purpose is to give us what we want so that all we know is getting what we want. We play video games that immerse us in war so that we no longer have the perspective of a civilian. Our relationships are through a virtual reality that feeds our selfishness over our selflessness. It draws on our need to consume unnecessary products and things over soulful and enlightening conversation. This emphasis on consumption affects the most vulnerable of our minds. Uh, 
affects the most vulnerable of minds, the most absorbent of minds, the most malleable of minds, those of our children. What are, we are what we see, and if this is what we feed our children, then what else can we possibly expect out of them? Are they not our future? Are they not our hopes and our dreams? Are they not our legacy? What is the legacy of our children? And so, what is the legacy of the United States? I bring up acknowledgement because we don't know how to talk to each other anymore. We don't know how to have differing opinions without callousness. We don't know how to engage in debate without our teeth exposed. And so, now we're out for blood. Yet we're supposed to be collectively striving for a better America for everyone. Dr. King understood this on a profound level. He was a fierce opponent of the Vietnam War for not just what it did to our veterans, but also for that false advertising, promoting freedom by having people who are not free in America kill others that are not free elsewhere. He said, and as I ponder the madness of Vietnam and search within myself for ways to understand and respond in compassion, my mind goes constantly to the people of that peninsula. I speak now not of the soldiers of each side, not of the ideologies of the Liberation Front, not of the Junta in Saigon, but simply of the people who have been living under the curse of war for almost three continuous decades now. I think of them, too, because it is clear to me that there will be no meaningful solution there until some attempt is made to know them and hear their broken cries. But are we not still caught up in that same war today, in the Middle East, in parts of Africa, in North Dakota, in Baltimore? And so to acknowledge means that we must alter our system of values. Our current values are money and power. Our wars are based on money and power. Much of what our government does has a bottom line, and it is what our social policy is based on, our environmental policy is based on, our educational policy is what it's based on. And if our policies are for the benefit of our country, through whom power is defined as rich, white, and male, how do we expect to create policy that is equitable and fair? The first step of our mighty revolution must start with a redefinition of the values of our American and global polity. We must draw lines in the sand and say you cannot and will not cross these lines. To cross these lines goes against our collective humanity. To cross these lines goes against the sanctity of our creed as Americans. And to do this isn't easy. To do this is to go against a machine that was built and has been over and over recalibrated to combat our collectivism to combat our empathy and connection and reliance and trust in one another. To do this, we must challenge the system with which we live, but we must challenge it going back to our founding. The building blocks that our founding fathers were determined to construct this country with were fundamentally sound, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Built on reason. It wasn't that our individuality was better than our collective, but that our collective was made stronger through our distinctness and our uniqueness, and that our love for each other would fortify that individuality. And so we have come to the precipice that is our now. We have come 
to that moment where another period must start and we must recalibrate. The fierce urgency of now is upon us and it requires the only type of force that can withstand the mechanisms of division. And that force must be love. Don't get it twisted. This love isn't unicorns and pink roses. And it's not just holding hands or singing songs. This love is backbone. This love is fire. This love is a juggernaut. This love is a steel chain linking our histories, our cultures, our colors, and our futures. Dr. King said, when I speak of love, I am not speaking of some sentimental and weak response. I am not speaking of that force which is just emotional bosh. I am speaking of that force which all of the great religions have seen as the supreme unifying principle of life. I read this quote over and over because something about it seemed absolutely right and true, but also very unsettling. The supreme unifying principle of life, all the great religions. I met up with a friend last night who talked to me about growing up Muslim. He said there are 1.5 billion Muslims, some brown, some black, some men, some women, and they're all fighting each other. If we could all just decide to join hands, we could do anything. Why is it so hard for us to harness this love, this supreme unifying principle of life? I went to South Dakota in September with my sweetheart to bring food and supplies and stand in solidarity with Standing Rock. Over 200 sovereign nations coming together to support each other, to protect each other, to protect the water. We spent the days working, organizing donations and lending a hand where we were needed, and spent the night around a great fire, listening to stories and songs, watching dances, and being part of this unifying principle, this unwavering force of love a love that worked together and stood side by side to protect what's sacred, a love that laughed, sang, and danced together to feed what's sacred, a love that welcomed anybody that believed in the values of that love, in that spirit that we share with one another. When we say we need to change our values, we are engaging in a commitment to establishing better relationships, a relationship with ourselves, our neighbors, our earth, and our sky. Our love must be a relationship. A relationship fortified by our senses. To see the valleys and the mountains. To look into each other's eyes. To taste the spices and flavors that make up our vast collection of cultures from the diverse regions around the world to listen to the wind and the thunder, to hear our voices and rhythms and music, to feel the warmth of the sun or the soft morning rain, to feel the touch of a loved one or a stranger, to smell the flowers, the food, or even just a person's scent. 
Our love must be rooted in our senses because that is how we acknowledge each other. That is how we acknowledge this earth. Our country must be founded on the idea that we all count. At the moment, only a few count, but it's not because we don't have the capacity to love, but that we've been groomed not to. We must make America again. In the way that it was meant to be. The how is the tough part, but it can be done in many ways within our current system and outside of it. Already there are people and groups developing new ways to coexist instead of the rising cost of isolation many com our apartment complexes provide. Novel ways to run business so that more people have ownership of their work. Creative alternatives to teach and learn so that people and children don't fall in the cracks of a school system that don't meet their needs. Revisiting traditional farming techniques that yield organic, healthy food that take care of our land and reinstill pride and respect to our farmers. These things are all done outside of our government. They are creating new systems. These, are, these things are being done by grassroots efforts by small communities thinking of new ideas to tackle these systems of oppression. At the same time, there are more women and people of color in state and national office than ever before allowing more voices and representation in our government because we need black and brown brothers and sisters in office. We need LGBTQ people in office. We need people in office that represent our constituency or else that power remains rich, male, and white. And it's important that we marry both of these strategies. It's important that we organize and rally beside each other. It's important that we express ourselves and be heard that we engage in activities and hobbies that pique our interests and passions while also advancing our independent and collective culture. And it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be angry. Rather, it's important to be angry to remind us that we have souls and minds and hearts and self-determination. Dr. King said these are the times for real choices and not false ones. We are at the moment when our lives must be placed on the line if our nation is to survive its own folly. Every man of humane convictions must decide on the protest that best suits his or her convictions, but we must all protest. We need to stop looking down. We need to stop looking at our screens or allowing our headphones to deafen us from the sounds around us. We must be aware to be alive, and we must acknowledge to be acknowledged. I want to end on the inspiration um, for this speech um, with a poem by uh, Langston Hughes. Let America be America again. Let it be the dream it used to be. Let it be the pioneer on the plain, seeking a home where he himself is free. America never was America to me. Let America be the dream the dreamers dreamed. Let it be that great song, that great strong land of love, where never kings connive nor tyrants scheme that any man be crushed by one above. 
It never was America to me. Oh, let my land be a land where liberty is crowned with no false patriotic wreath, but opportunity is real and life is free. Equality is in the air we breathe. There's never been equality for me, nor freedom in this homeland of the free. Say, who are you that mumbles in the dark, and who are you that draws your veil across the stars? I'm the poor, white, fooled, and pushed apart. I am the Negro bearing slavery's scars. I am the red man driven from the land. I am the immigrant clutching the hope I seek. And finding only the same old stupid plan of dog eat dog, of mighty crush the weak. I am the young man full of strength and hope, tangled in that ancient endless chain of profit, power, gain, of grab the land, of grab the gold, of grab the ways of satisfying need, of work the men, of take the pay, of owning everything for one's own greed. I'm the farmer, bondsman to the soil. I'm the worker sold to the machine. I am the Negro, servant to you all. I am the people, humble, hungry, mean, Hungry yet today despite the dream, beaten yet today. Oh, pioneers, I am the man who never got ahead, the poorest worker bartered through the years. Yet I'm the one who dreamt our basic dream in the old world while still a serf of kings, who dreamt a dream so strong, so brave, so true, that even yet its mighty daring sings in every brick and stone and every furrow turned. That's made America the land it has become. Oh, I'm the man who sailed those early seas in search of what I meant to be my home. For I'm the one who left dark Ireland's shore and Poland's plain and England's grassy lee and torn from black Africa's strand, I came to build a homeland of the free. The free? Who said the free? Not me. Surely not me. The millions on relief today? The millions shot down when we strike? The millions who have nothing for our pay, for all the dreams we've dreamed and all the songs we've sung and all the hopes we've held and all the flags we've hung, the millions who have nothing for our pay except the dream that's almost dead today. Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet and yet must be, the land where every man is free. The land that's mine, the poor man's, Indians, Negroes, me, who made America, whose sweat and blood, whose faith and pain, whose hand at the foundry, whose plow in the rain must bring back our mighty dream again. Sure, call me any ugly name you choose. The steel of freedom does not stain. From those who live like leeches on the people's lives, we must take back our land again. America. Oh, yes, I say it plain. America never was America to me, and yet I swear this oath America will be. Out of the rack and ruin of our gangster death, the rape and rot of graft and stealth and lies, we, the people, must redeem the land, the mines, the plants, the rivers, the mountains, and the endless plain, all, all the stretch of these great green states, and make America again. Thank you so much.
Thank you so much, Benjamin Hunter. Sobering words, but words we need to hear. I hope that we can take with us the idea that we must be fiercely committed to making this a fairer world, country for us all. Now, you may stop by the Northwest African American Museum on Martin Luther King Day this Monday for an all-day open house. You may also watch this program at SCC TV, Channel 28 in Seattle, and simulcast on sccTV.net at 7 p.m. this Sunday, January 15th, and every Sunday through February. Now, we will invite you to join us downstairs for a reception to continue this conversation and to enjoy some refreshments. And now, as Reverend McKinney is wheeled down toward us, let us continue the tradition of closing this celebration with song. Join Reverend McKinney, Danell Damon, and Greater Works in We Shall Overcome. Just changing a couple of words from we shall overcome someday, we will overcome today. That's what we have to do. We have no choice. Reach out across the aisle. Take the hand of somebody close to you. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. Today. One more time, like you mean it. Everybody sing. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. Today. Now as you go downstairs, sing and hug somebody and say it. We shall overcome. We shall overcome.
That's why he's a legend and we're not. Thank you so much for being here today and thank you for this wonderful program honoring the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Thanks for streaming this episode of Speakers Forum from KUOW 94.9 Seattle. Seattle College's 44th Annual Community Celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. took place on January 13th at Mount Zion Baptist Church. Tune in again soon.